Praise the Lord, the living waters. Amen. Good morning, church. Before I begin today, I've got a few announcements for you. Uh, we have a, a milestone birthday today. Aunt Doris, today, right? 93? We, yeah. And uh, what a blessing you are to this, this body. You know, we don't make it a practice of celebrating everyone's birthday here on a Sunday, but when you turn 93... You know, we make exceptions, so uh, happy birthday, Aunt Doris. Uh, also, I just want to make mention uh, of the fact, if you're not aware by now, uh, Bill and Lori Hardy, uh, they are going to be moving. And yeah, I know, I know. Uh, take it up with them later. Something about family, I don't know. Um, now, they're, they're moving closer to family. They're going to be in Ohio near Paige and Josh, and that's really good for them, and I know that that uh, does her mom heart really well, and I'm sure your dad heart, right, uh, to be closer to family. Bill got a new job out there uh, with uh, a company that does the exact same thing he's doing here, uh, and God really just provided that in, in a miraculous way for them. So we're, we're happy for them, hard for us. Uh, they're they're uh, going to be dearly missed here, so thank you. Uh, we won't let you go without praying for you, but that's not today. It'll be, that'll come, so, but... Um, Good. Also, I just want to mention, uh, just uh, this is the third Sunday that the Ukraine has been under siege, and and uh, you guys have been really incredible. Uh, praise God for your generosity. You know, you've given to that Ukraine fund that we set up, uh, and that's going directly into the Ukraine. Those funds are going directly into the Ukraine to seminaries uh, who are uh, discerning where the the most need is. It's getting into the hands of pastors, into the hands of churches who are serving people who are suffering uh, right now. And you guys, uh, like I said, thank God, praise God for your generosity. Uh, I learned just this last week recently, a, a day or so ago, uh, that a pastor was killed in Ukraine uh, just serving uh, and trying to help people get to the border, uh, get supplies back from the border. And he got caught in, in the crossfire, and, and uh, he's home with the Lord. This is the first Sunday his church is going to be without that pastor. And I want to pray for that church today and for the church in Ukraine. And, uh, and then we'll get to the word together. Uh, Lord Jesus, our hearts uh, are heavy, and they break for just the, uh, the evil that's taking place in our world in Ukraine. Father, we pray for peace. Father, we pray for your church to be strengthened. Uh, we, we pray that you would comfort uh, the grieving hearts of those who've lost loved ones. And we think of this pastor and his family and, and his church, uh, this Sunday being the first Sunday without him. Father, we are thankful for a church uh, in Ukraine who uh, does not fear man, who can only kill the body who loves you, Jesus. And we know, we have such confidence and hope knowing that death is not the end of us. And so we're, we're thankful for a church that knows that and gets that and is an example to the world of just pouring yourself out for those in need. We thank you for this pastor who paid the highest price to serve, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a dark place. Father, we pray that you would comfort that family and that church, strengthen it even more with, with greater resolve to serve you, Jesus, with joy as they, as they reach out uh, and, and serve those who are suffering. 
And God, we pray for an end uh, to that invasion. God, we pray that you would change the hearts of, uh, of men who, who wish to do evil. We thank you that you hold the hearts of, of all kings in your hands as, as, as a stream of water. You direct it as you, as you wish. And God, we pray that you direct the heart of, of President Putin away from evil and to good. And Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, of which we can always be thankful. And we thank you that we have a hope that not even death can take from us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So a few weeks ago, we've been in the book of John, of course, but in chapter 3, we looked at a conversation that Jesus had with someone who we could call a social insider, a member of the religious elite. His name was Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, educated, respected, highly religious, very moral. And Jesus says to this man, none of that matters. None of that matters. It counts for nothing. In fact, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to start over. You need to go back to the beginning. You need to be born again. The kingdom of God needs to be given to you. It's not something that is earned by you. That was the message that Nicodemus needed to hear. That was John 3. Now we're in John 4. And we see Jesus having a different conversation this morning with a completely different kind of person. You could not get more different than where we're going today. If Nicodemus was an insider, this woman that Jesus is going to talk to today was an outsider, a person who who couldn't get more outside. She's an outsider. And Jesus offers the same gift of salvation to her as he did to Nicodemus, but he'll use different metaphors this time. This should tell us something about evangelism. There's no one way There's no cookie-cutter method for doing evangelism. There's no rote, memorized script that we can just lay on people. It doesn't work like that. Now, Jesus was a master at sharing the gospel with different people in different ways. It's the same gospel, but each time a different method, different metaphors, because Nicodemus and this woman are different people with different stories and church There are as many stories as there are people in this world, and they all need the same gospel. And Jesus could do this because he listened to them, and he knew their hearts. He knew people. And this requires a little more work for us, who are not omniscient like Jesus, who knows the hearts of all men. And because of this, we need to listen more. We need to ask questions. We need to be discerning of people's hearts, where they're hurting and what their needs are. We need to know a person a bit. Instead of charging in like a bull in a china shop with our four points and a prayer, come to Jesus. They need the gospel, but we need to listen because we need to bring the gospel to people in in different ways. Same gospel, different methods at different times for different people. Let's look now at how Jesus talks with this social outcast. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to John 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 26 today. 
If you don't have a, a Bible with you, feel free to use that Bible in the pew in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, period, that's our gift to you. Take that home with you. We'd be happy to have you take that. Once you're there, I invite you to stand with me if you're able, out of reverence for God's word and follow along with me as I read. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that? living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The 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 water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you, are, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, 
I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Open our eyes now, Holy Spirit, to see and understand, to behold the treasure that is before us. Expand our hearts and and greater love for, for you, Father. And may we be a changed people because we spent time in your word together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I've got three points today. Jesus is going to present, he's going to lead off with some good news. He's going to transition to some bad news, and he's going to end with some great news. Okay, that's where we're going. So first, we must understand why this news is good. This woman is a social outcast. I mentioned that already. But how do we know this? Well, first of all, here she is getting water by herself. And it was common practice in this culture, in this time, that for women, when they went to get water, they would go together in groups. Maybe it's like today, when women all go to the bathroom together in groups when they're out. I don't know. But here, this woman's alone. She's all by herself. She's not with a group. This should tell us something. And secondly, she's at the well at the sixth hour, which is noontime, the hottest time of the day. Women would normally go to get water either earlier in the day or later in the day when the sun was not so hot. It seems pretty clear that this woman is at the well at a time when she, does, she knows that she won't risk running into anyone that she doesn't want to see. Don't want to risk an awkward encounter while on this errand. Next, she's a Samaritan. Samaritans were a mixed-race people, Jews who intermarried with pagans and corrupted the Jewish religion by mixing it with elements of, of pagan worship. And so Samaritans were despised people. They were despised by the Jews. And lastly, she's a woman. And it was culturally taboo at this time for a man to talk with a woman in this way in public. So in so many ways, she's an outcast. This woman, she's coming to draw water and and doing all that she can to avoid people. And here's Jesus. She gets to the well and there's Jesus sitting there at the well when she arrives. And I can only imagine what's going through her mind. Oh, great. Someone else is here. At least it's not someone from the village who knows me, right? At least it's not someone who knows me. But he's a Jew. I don't want to go through this right now. I don't have time for this. I don't want to be trampled on again. And this woman has to know, has to have known nothing but scorn all her life from Jews. And here's a Jew sitting by the well, and she's got to be thinking, not again, not today. I don't need this today. She expects that Jesus will treat her in the same way that, that, uh, that all the other Jewish people would have treated her. And it makes me wonder how many people today resist Jesus or keep him at a distance because they expect scorn and judgment. Maybe it was a bad experience with a church or another Christian 
But how many people today resist Jesus because of what they expect based on their interactions with Christians and churches? I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you watch enough media, someone doesn't even have to have had a bad experience with a church. If you watch enough media, Christians are painted with, a very, with very unflattering brushstrokes these days. Legalists, judgmental, hypocrites, backwards thinking, ignorant, right? Obstacles to progress. And so, like this woman is expecting, she, she's expecting the status quo scorn from Jesus. She's sitting there by the well and she decides to keep to herself and say nothing. She's going to keep to myself. I can just picture that. I'm here, going to keep to myself. I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to get my water and go. But notice this. Jesus initiates. He draws near. He initiates the conversation. He breaks the ice. He asks her for a drink. And this is how it is with Jesus. He's the one who always initiates. He's, he's the one who always draws near first. Later on in verse 23, Jesus tells the woman that God is seeking people to worship him. God is seeking people to worship him. Not too long ago, it was trendy to, to call yourself a seeker church. And by that, people meant, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're welcoming the people who are curious, right? Um, but I think that we should be more of a seeker church in the sense that we have a God who's seeking you. He's a, we have a God who seeks people to worship him. So Jesus draws near. He initiates. Secondly, the fact that Jesus is asking this woman to do something for him is an act that dignifies. It's an act that dignifies. So often we're quick to think we've got to serve outcasts. We've got to serve uh, people who are less fortunate than us. And, and there's good intentions in this way of thinking, but many times a person who's been pushed to the side all their life just needs to feel useful. They need to feel like they have some value, that they can contribute, that they can do something. And so Jesus dignifies her in, in asking her to, to do something for him. Jesus' approach is, is humble and it, it invites a person who expects to be trampled on to serve him, to, to do a favor for him. Jesus, so here he is, he's breaking through uh, all sorts of barriers, social, ethnic, religious, gender. Uh, he's breaking through all these taboos to draw near to this woman, and she's blown away. She is just blown away. It's not what she expected. How many people today, if, if they were introduced to the real Jesus, would find that he's not what they expected either? How many people, if we were to introduce them to the real Jesus, would find that he's not what they expected either? Now that the ice is broken, look how Jesus goes on to give this woman some almost too good to be true good news. He offers her a gift. Living water. Now in this culture, living water was, was not as mystical as it sounds to us today, the term living water was commonly used to describe running water, a spring or a stream, as opposed to sitting water, which was dug out in a well. 
And so the woman misunderstands. She thinks that Jesus has found a stream nearby somewhere, right? And so her comment about Jacob makes sense because if Jesus found a spring nearby that not even uh, Jacob found, our, our, anse- our great ancestor Jacob, if he couldn't find a well or a stream of living water, then surely Jesus must be greater than Jacob. And there's probably a uh, a tinge of uh, sarcasm here. You know, who do you think you are? Are you better than Jacob? Not even Jacob could find living water around here. He had to dig this well. Who are you? You know, where's this water you found? Now, of course, Jesus is using the term living water metaphorically, and the woman just misses it. Jesus is talking about salvation and life. And just like Nicodemus missed it with the new birth, so too, this woman is, is still missing it at this point. Listen to these words from the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 12, verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. Remember, water is a symbol of life. And Jesus is trying to say that His salvation is as necessary to you spiritually as water is to you physically. We all need water. We all need water. But we we miss this today because we we have such uh, immediate and instant access to water. We can turn on any one of our sinks and get water whenever we want it. We have water fountains. We have We could buy a water bottle at the store. But when you live in a climate as arid as this, and when you have experienced really deep thirst, that's when you realize how important water really is to you. And that, by the way, if you want to figure out, you know, why there's all these battles and skirmishes, you know, in in the Old Testament in particular, uh, and even in the ancient world, you'll notice that a lot of those battles are taking place over water. There's usually a body of water there, and people need that water to live. And so they're, they're fighting over land where there's, where there's water that can give life. So we kind of miss this, and we need to be reminded of it. So Jesus, he says, um, you know, we, we don't really know, like I said, what it means to thirst like that. But when someone thirsts, it's... It's a longing. It's a craving. It's, it's a means to life. And, and Jesus says all these things that your heart craves and longs for to give your life meaning and purpose, they may satisfy you for a time, but they will always leave you thirsty. Just like this physical well will leave you thirsty. All the things that your heart craves for, longs for. Listen to how Jeremiah explains this in chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a picture of a life striving after things that we think will give us meaning and purpose and satisfy the longing and and craving of our souls. And we keep missing it. We keep missing it. It's like running after a a, a, a mirage, only to find that you're 
taking a drink of water and you end up with a mouthful of sand. All the things we chase after to satisfy our souls are nothing more than broken cisterns that can hold no water. Money and possessions, success and career, popularity, sports and entertainment, sex and relationships, power and control. But Jesus, Jesus is the only one who can give us what our souls most desperately long for. Only Jesus And more than this, in verse 14, Jesus says that this water will change you. It will change you. It will transform you inside. This water will become a a spring welling up inside you. We need to be reminded that Christianity is not, at its core, a philosophy or a practice or an ethic or an experience even. It has those elements in it, but it's so much more. It changes you. Christianity is something that changes you on the inside and gives you purpose. It gives you life. It gives you joy. And there's more good news. Because in verse, four, in verse 10, rather, he calls it a gift. This is a gift. Joe had read this earlier, but Isaiah 55, 1, it's so beautiful. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Who are invited to come? It says it right here. He who has no money. You have nothing. You have nothing to bring. Come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Because someone else paid the price for you. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift that you receive. It's not something that you can buy with money that you've earned. This is good news. Because we are in the economy of God's mercy. We are spiritually bankrupt. We've got nothing to bring. Nothing to offer. And worse, we're not just bankrupt. Our balance is not just zero. It's we carry around a weight of eternal debt that we have no way of paying off ourselves because of our sin. And Jesus offers this woman and all of you this living water as a free gift, free of charge. And this is good news. Eternal satisfaction to quench your souls. And Jesus says in verse 10, if you ask for it, I'll give it. If you ask for it, I'll give it. But the woman, like Nicodemus, still misunderstands. She still thinks Jesus is talking about literal water. In verse 15, she realizes this. It's an offer she can't refuse. It's too good to be true, right? If he's really serious about this living water, she's got to be thinking, you know what? It'd be nice not to have to come to this well every day. When it's so hot out. Risk running into people I don't want to see? If I don't have to do that, give me that water. I want that water. But she's missing it. And so to help her to understand what he means by living water, Jesus needs to to give her some bad news. That's the next point. This woman, she needs to know that this living water is something that she already 
has been looking for. She knows what it is because she's been striving for it her entire life, but yet she's never been able to find it. She's never been able to have it. To help her see this, Jesus goes to her and he, he says, go call your husband and come here. Knowing the shame in this area of her life, I can imagine that her heart maybe starts beating a little faster. Maybe her palms are getting a little sweaty. She's hoping to dodge this a little bit. She just noticed, she gives just a quick, short answer. I don't have a husband. You know? Now, where's that water again? <laughs> Tell me more about the water. You know, I don't have a husband. But Jesus, he presses in. He presses in and he exposes what is perhaps her deepest shame and her deepest guilt. The fact that she's had five husbands. The one she's with now is not even her husband. You know what a, you know what a person's deepest fear is? It's to be completely known by someone. For someone to know every part of you. The stuff you want to hide. For them to know you completely and then to reject you. That's our deepest fear. For someone to know your failings, to know your shame, and to be pushed away. And all... This is all that this woman has ever known. Her shame is public knowledge in the village. Everyone knows what kind of woman she is. And she's pushed to the margins of society. We know this fear too. It's human. To let someone in is terrifying. You've got to build up a certain amount of trust to really let someone in, to see who you really are. Because we think... That if they really knew, if they really knew who I was, then surely they would reject me. So even with our closest friends, there's perhaps areas of your life that are locked up tighter than Fort Knox. Because if they only knew, they'd reject me. So we're careful to manage what people know about us. Because we want to be accepted. We want to be accepted Social media feeds this exponentially. People manicure and create a persona that they think will be liked and accepted by others. And all the likes and all of the hearts that reward your desire for acceptance. You know, and so you post more and more because you think people will like you more. Even if what you're posting is not true. Maybe I'll get a few more likes if I post this picture of you know, me doing something really fun and cool. You know, when in reality, you're just dying inside. Big tech has figured this out. And they've tapped into your deepest thirst for acceptance and figured out a way to make billions of dollars off of it. Am I right? Social media is also a great way to mask who you really are, to keep people at a distance so that They won't see the stuff that you don't want them to see. So they won't reject you. But the trade-off, the trade-off is that no one ever really knows you. And it's lonely and it's isolating. Now, if this woman was feeling uncomfortable before, now she's feeling it. 
She's feeling it. Her business is out there. And Jesus is too close. He's too close. So she has to think quick. She's got to deflect. She's got to get the pressure off. And so perceiving that Jesus must be some kind of prophet to have that knowledge, she tries to change the subject to a popular religious dispute between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans believe that the true place of worship was on Mount Gerizim, but the Jews claim that Jerusalem was the proper place for worship and the temple. So let's bring this up. Let's, let's get the pressure off of me. Let's get the, the spotlight off of me. Let's talk about something. Let's talk about something religiously controversial because that's a lot more comfortable. But this doesn't derail Jesus. He will use this masterfully to tie it all back together to the deepest need of her soul. And he's going to give her great news. So here's some great news. This is our last point. First notice that Jesus addresses this religious controversy only briefly. Essentially, he's saying, you know, that old argument about location, that's old news. That's old news. Soon, that's going to be irrelevant we're not going to be talking about where we worship. That's going to be way old news. Jesus is going to show her that the transformation of the living water that he offers is what will make buildings and locations a thing of the past, completely obsolete. Look at verse 23. He says, But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Remember that whenever Jesus uses this term, our, we've talked about this before, I think, when, uh, when Jesus was at the wedding. Whenever he uses this term, our, especially in John's gospel, he almost always is referring to his death, his coming death and resurrection. There's seven things that are recorded that Jesus said while he was on the cross. One of them were these two words. I thirst. I thirst. And this was more than just physical thirst. And it was more horrifying than even physical suffering. I've heard people go on and on about all the medical stuff, about how he died and the nails and the, all that. And that wasn't even the worst part. On the cross, Jesus experienced our deepest thirst of the soul. He took our shame on himself. He took our guilt on himself. And he was rejected. He was rejected by the Father. He was denied quenching for this this eternal thirst that he experienced. On the cross, Jesus took all of our sin, all of our shame on himself. And for the first time, he who only ever knew perfect fellowship with the Father, experienced something that he never had before, the hell of rejection. He was rejected. 
by the Father. Why would Jesus do this? It was, it was the only way to make true worshipers that Jesus talks about here in this passage. Worshipers who would worship the Father in spirit and truth. The only way to have the living water for your souls is in Jesus who is the truth. And he's the truth that makes our dead spirits alive. This is what spirit and truth means. John says it here later on in his gospel, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only it's only in spirit and truth. It's only in Jesus who can make your spirit alive, who gives you that living water. And remember what our, our deepest fear of humanity is? Remember that? It's to be completely known and to be rejected. Well, the greatest joy is the opposite. It's to be completely known. Shame and all. And to be accepted. It's to be welcomed. And the only way you can have this is because Jesus took your sin and shame and was rejected in your place. Jesus thirst so that you could be quenched by the living water. Remember what Jesus told the woman in verse 16? We looked at it earlier. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. In just seven words, Jesus speaks to both her conscience and her heart. Jesus is saying to her, I know your shame. Go get it. I know your shame. Go get it and come here. I'm not rejecting you. Come. Bring your shame. Bring, bring your worst and bring it to me. Come to me. Get your deepest shame, bring it here, lay it down. I will bear your shame, and I will forgive you, and I will give you living water. The very thing your soul has longed for your entire life, but have never been able to find, I give it to you without cost, a gift. You need only to ask, and Jesus will give it to you. If you're here this morning, and you've never come to Jesus like this before, I invite you to come today with all your shame and know what it's like to be completely known and accepted. If you're here today and you've been a Christian for some time, but you've forgotten where true joy comes from, where true satisfaction comes from, and you've been drinking from broken cisterns for too long, you're thirsty, and you're weary, come. Come lay it down at the feet of Jesus and find quenching and rest for your souls. I don't do this often, but today just feels appropriate. Uh, during our last song, uh, as we're singing, if you're here and you need living water for the first time, or if you need a, uh, a refresher, you need someone to pray with you. Uh, I've asked Tom and Julie Joseph if they'd come down and they'll just be sitting in the front pew here. And if, if you'd like someone to pray with you, Tom's one of our elders. Julie's a, a new deacon. 
And uh, they'd love to just pray with you. Uh, So if you need living water, if you need to come to Jesus today, uh, come during our last song. And here here are the the lyrics. I'll invite the the team to come up now. Here's the lyrics. We're going to sing these in a moment. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted. Let rescue begin. Come find your mercy. O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all who have strayed. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary. Rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Let's sing this together.